When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Buzz Game Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. 59-31 Ohio State beats Purdue on Saturday. Two regular season games left. Michigan State and Michigan. Both those teams won on Saturday. Keeps it interesting. Let's talk about something that we talked about a ton. That didn't matter in this game. Or maybe it did matter because it didn't matter. Nathan, we had asked a question of ourselves and other texters this week. Who is more potentially more of a problem for Ohio State in this game? Are the two Purdue stars, receiver David Bell or defensive end George Karloftis? The three of us all picked George Karloftis. The texter said David Bell. I think it was like 72% to 28%. Tell you what, wasn't George Karloftis neutralized i thought by the ohio state tackles what did we think of that performance by primarily nickus prayer and dewan jones taking a likely first round pick out of the game i obviously haven't gone back and rewatched it yet but just in real time i thought it was important and impressive um because there were times and it wasn't every single snap but i you know especially the way this game was going, I found myself being like, oh, well, let me just watch what they're doing against George Karloftis for a few snaps since it was a a comfortable cushion. And he was really, there was no penetration. I mean, there was, there was, uh, he was pretty much stood up, whether it was Jones, whether it was Nicholas Petit Frere, obviously Thayer Munford also got some time at tackle in this game, but you're right. Neutralized, I think is the best word for it. And I, I don't necessarily feel like we read that wrong because Bell had about the game that I would have expected him to have. What do you have? Like it was 18 targets. So considering that, actually, Looking he may have had even fewer a, receptions. Official but it, official box score: 17 targets, 11 catches for 103. So I mean, 103 yards on that many targets, no touchdowns. Although he dropped the one at the end that should have been a touchdown. But that's about what I would have expected him to have. And I thought that that was just because so much of Purdue's offense flows through him. That would almost be. I don't know if you'd call that a win, but like a draw for Ohio State in that matchup. And I thought that Carl Loftus would be able to generate some pass rush. And as it turns out, neither team generated any pass rush. It was pretty much a – it was a nice day to be a quarterback at Ohio Stadium. I think 
the combination of Karloftis being basically mute. He had four tackles, nothing, one TFL. Uh, CJ Stroud having being able to just sit back there, relax in the pocket, and throw uh, complete eighty two percent of his passes. But then also, you know, what David Bell was able to do proved our point a little bit because I think I said it in a video. David Bell can come out and be awesome, and it doesn't matter because it's what he does. <clears throat> Every week, but what if George Karloftis starts getting in the backfield and taking CJ Stroud off schedule and he has to move around a little bit, then all of a sudden he's not completing 82% of his passes, which does impact Ohio State doesn't score 59 points if that happens. So, it, I mean, George Karloftis not being a factor proved our point. Actually, that might be true. I like that. I started off with, hey, we messed, we were wrong on this. And you're like, no, we were right on this. It's just that Ohio State did a really good job. The idea that this was the return of the excellent Ohio State offensive line. I, I feels like a big deal to me because we talked a lot the last two weeks, some defensive front movement, a couple missed assignments by the Ohio State offensive line, kind of like, what's up with these guys? We're not exactly sure. And here comes George Karloftis. We were talking after the game. We, we are going to go back. We, we did not get to talk to either tackle after the game today. Ryan Day did say, yes, we tried to account for George Karloftis in some way. We tried to make sure he didn't destroy us. But then also, you know, the two tackles, whoever was playing tackle did a job. Somebody on Twitter, one of the PFF guys during play on Saturday tweeted out that he thought Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan was the best player in college football right now. And that's what we're talking about, Nathan, the idea that, okay, Karloftis is good. Defensively as a team, Purdue is not as good, I think, 1 through 11 as either Michigan State or Michigan. But if this was a very good performance as you look ahead two weeks to a Michigan defensive end who people are talking about that way. But again, I we talked a lot about coming into this game. There were NFL people saying, look at this film of George Karloftis. He's doing this. He's doing that. He can't be stopped. And they stopped him. So we don't only want to treat what, what the tackles did today as an appetizer because it, it filled you up. They have a nice full tummy of success right now. But, man, when you start looking at a better Michigan defense led by that guy, this was a good sign today. I think so. Uh, Ryan Day did say after the game, we did some things to limit our exposure to Karloftis. And I did see some double teams in there. I'm sure that that also just the way that they called plays factored into that, you know, doing things not to his side, that sort of thing. But I, I think it is an important step that after two weeks where we were a little bit skeptical of the way the offensive line was playing, because if you had asked before this year, what's going to be like one of the bedrock things of this offense you would have said the offensive line is going to win much more often than it loses. And those tackles are going to keep the, even the best defensive ends in the country kind of at bay. And tonight was an example of that. I think that it's possible that it needs to be even better than that in two weeks against Michigan, because I think those guys might be right. I think Hutchinson, I know people who are listening to this probably think we're like moving the goalposts after we talked Carl Loftus up for so long to be like, Oh no, no, but wait a second. I mean, but wait till you see Hutchinson. Cause I think he legitimately might be even better, but, but more, Michigan has even more help up front. It's going to be more than just one. So, but I think there were, you saw it often enough tonight and I want to go watch again, but often enough tonight where it was just one-on-one and either the exact things we talked about, like Jones just being so wide that no way Carl Loftus could get around him or Petit Frere just standing up to the challenge. And, you know, 
I, I we'll never know, or we may know after the season, they'll talk more about just how compromised he might've been for that Nebraska game after having to miss time and where his focus was after death and the family, all that stuff. So maybe that was a factor last week too, but certainly a, a good bounce back performance at, at the very least for this offensive line. I'm going to uh, overthink. I, go ahead, Steve. I'm going to overthink a little bit. Um, I don't know if I'm worried about Michigan as much after what I saw today and what I had been seeing. I, I'm more worried about because DeWan kind of said it when we talked to him on Wednesday night about how they were kind of smelling themselves a little bit and got a little cocky and they were dominating guys. And Michigan State doesn't have a dominant dude on that defensive line. They're, they're OK, but there's no there's not an Aiden Hutchison or a George Karloftis or even a Kayvon Thibodeau, even if they didn't play him. And so the way DeWan was talking on Wednesday night, it made it seem like they were playing down at our level of comp- competition. So I may be a little bit more worried about that next week of them kind of falling back into that right now than them than I am worried about an Ohio State team getting up for one, Michigan, because it's Michigan, and then two, getting up for an opponent where, quite frankly, DeWan Jones and Nicholas petit Frank can make some money. Yeah, but, I mean, that implies that that Ohio State's only going to – only gets beat by guys when they lose focus, right? I mean, it's they're gonna they run yeah. into guys sometimes who were like, "Well, I, I don't care for yeah. focus for Aiden Hutchinson; he's really good." It was interesting to seize on this. We'll bounce around a little bit to seize on what you're saying, Stephen. Ryan Day did say something after the game, like we had a little edge to us this week, and I think he meant probably primarily offensively because they felt mm-hmm. like the last two weeks they didn't do as well as they wanted to do. And it's one of these things again. Sometimes it's like. Well, you know, is the media are we are we are we asking too are we acting like we're being too hard on them because everyone's like they're they're being hard on themselves. They didn't like it. They, they didn't like scoring 60 a game for a month and then not doing that against Penn State and Nebraska. They don't just only say, oh, those defenses are good. Oh well. They didn't like it. It was interesting. I thought Nathan, I thought it was interesting to hear that, right? That like, okay, maybe they lost a, I don't want to say they lost focus, but they they got back at it in the prep for this one. I said this to some people pregame that by the end of the week, if we had made our picks on Saturday morning, instead of Thursday afternoon, I might've picked Ohio state to cover this spread instead of, even if it was 21, instead of taking the 18, because this, I had really started to see this become a bit of an ego game for a lot Mm -hmm. of people, not ego in a bad way necessarily, but like an ego game for Ryan day to come out and say, you're, you're questioning my play calling. Watch what mm-hmm. I'm about to deal up. A que- an ego game for this offensive line. Think you. You guys think George Karloftis? Like uh, he's great, but look what we can. We can. We can. He's not going to come over and barrel. You know, run us into the ground. Like just you know, the, the the whole offense really being like, oh, you thought that was like sketchy the last two weeks? Look at what we're about to deal. Like it just felt like I could feel that building throughout the week a little bit. That this was a game where not that they had to prove something, but I think that they they felt that they had slipped a little bit from their own standard of performance. And it wasn't something they couldn't get back if they just, you know, asserted themselves. And I thought you saw that tonight, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Day's getting in his underdog bag, which every coach loves to get to that little underdog bag where they conjure up some fake. They don't believe in us anymore. And I think you're right. That's what this was a little bit. Oh, you think I'm, 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 I'm losing as a play caller. Oh, you think our offensive line is, is losing in a little bit. Oh, watch us now. That's what this was. Why are you but asking gotta, us about Purdue when none of us were here in 2018 when that team played? But they've got to get to a place where that isn't what sets them over the edge, too. I agree. They've got to get to a place because they're going to run into a team at some point that people are wrong about and has an offense that can exploit them the way Purdue did tonight, but maybe has a better defense to go along with it, and then it's going to be a problem. And it's one of those things where, like, 
I maybe would have thought, okay, like Penn State's defense plays pretty well, holds you down a little bit. You're going to have that against Nebraska. But then they did have yeah. that against Nebraska. It took kind of not playing that well offensively against a Nebraska defense that's only kind of good for them to get it. So you never know. I mean, it's sometimes – but I do believe you. I wasn't there like at Wednesday interviews. You should, as, as when you're around the team the whole year, you should get a feel for stuff like that. Like, oh no, I they're you know, like, and if so, if you guys felt that, I mean, that's that's legit. I do think when you're around the same people all year, you do get a vibe sometimes. And like I've I've said that at times over the years that. You know, sometimes it feels like some of the times when I've like picked them to get upset or whatever, and I'm still usually wrong. But I remember like the, many years ago, I guess in 15, I think I picked them to lose at Indiana. And it was like they won on a on a pass that Indiana threw a pass in the end zone, the last play of the game and Ohio State won. And it was based on that. It was based on like trying to you kind of feel something. So if you feel like uh, uh, this is I like how you said it, Nathan, this is an ego game. That's that's real. So if that's where they were. Then this was proof of that. So so the one thing is George Karloftis and just absolute credit to Dewan Jones and Nicholas Petit Frere and Thayer Munford when he was at tackle. Again, a couple every now and then, like you guys did, I tried to focus on that. It's like, oh, uh, I just watched a snap and Dewan Jones swallowed him. It was just like, oh, you're good. You're also rushing against a guy who's 120 pounds bigger than you. He swallowed you. So there were two plays. He had a nice run stop. I think Nathan or Steven, if you said he had one tackle for loss, he I had a, yeah. well, he, he moved inside right off the snap and met mine Williams in the hole. That was a nice play. And then he forced the hold on Jeremy Rucker that wiped out the deep ball touchdown to Chris Olave, which Ryan day said that was my fault for trying to put Jeremy Ruckert one-on-one with George Karloftis and Ruckert battled him, but he kind of held him right at the, he sort of won the initial fight. And then there was a second fight and he held him a little bit as Karloftis got inside and that drew the flag. Ryan Day said, I should have shifted the protection that way. We should have slid that way. You can't leave a tight end on an island against that guy. I, I didn't really notice anything else. I mean, there was like a play where he sort of like chased CJ Stroud wide, but like whatever. And even like the, was it the, the Trayvon Henderson run? I think they ran right at him and he like got inside and then was like, whoop, there goes Trevor Henderson around the corner. And like, that was it. And it's like, Nathan, yeah. you had said that before mm-hmm. the game, run right yeah. at him. So it's just like they had an answer for him almost every snap. Yeah. And I, as I also predicted, like, I just didn't, I wasn't that confident in what Purdue had in the back seven. Like from the, once you got Trevor Henderson in the second level, or as we saw multiple times today, if you got Garrett Wilson into the second level on some of those like crossing patterns, those outs, they, what Purdue had no chance. The other thing I will say, I bet when we go back and rewatch this, I think we're going to find out that Jeremy Ruckert actually was a bigger help over the course of the game against Karloftis than he was a detriment on that one play. So the, the stat that I want to point out that we didn't watch every snap, you know how many targets Jeremy Ruckert had today? I don't I think he had a one. Yeah, one. he had the one that he didn't catch, I think. You know why? Because I'm assuming because he was in blocking the whole time. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, why didn't you throw to Ruckert? It's like because the tight ends didn't run any routes because we were trying to help block. I mean, it was yeah. and the, and the backs the backs didn't do anything. The backs had two catches because who's not leaking out that much and catching swing pass. Everybody's staying in to make sure that guy doesn't beat you. And the result is let's let the receivers run free and each get ten plus targets and go bonkers and we'll max protect with everybody else. Guess what worked perfectly? Yeah, they sent Ruckert out on a route. I think 
three times. And he had the one target. They sent Cade Stover on a route once. And I think CJ could have hit him, but instead he went to Travion out with a check down. So, yeah. So, <laughs> which is, uh, well, you can that do that, that though, when these are your receivers. So you but it was that. not that. I, I like, I like, that's it, right? I mean, that there's a lot to that. Like, and I like it sometimes. We see them run those routes sometimes where you max protect and you run two receivers in a route. And it's like, all right, this is mm-hmm. it we're relying on one of these two guys to win. And it's like, all right, well, I mean, they're the high state receivers. They're, they're, they're probably going to win. Let's protect with 11. Like, I mean, you can, you can do that when you're guys like that. All right. So the Karloftis matchup, a win for Ohio state, Steven, I know during the course of the game, you must've had your eyeballs on it. You were trying to keep track a little bit of the Denzel Burke, David Bell matchup. I mean, is it fair to say Burke was on Bell much, most, all? I mean, that we did see that matchup, it seemed like a lot. Five for 11 for 39 yards and one pass interference call. That's the, that's when it was clear. It was Whether it was man or zone, it was clear. I'm going at David Bell, and it's Denzel Burke. He's the only one over there covering him. It's five for 11 for 39 yards and one pass interference car. So quite frankly, Denzel Burke won the day. So if we're talking 17 targets for Bell, you're saying 11 of them while, were while Burke was on him. Yeah. That's a win. I, I had sort of like when Denzel Burke in the past was like, bring it, right? I guess that was like Jahan Dotson mm-hmm. week. He was like, what's mm-hmm. up? I'm here. I'm ready. And it's like, okay. Like, are you sure? And it's like, nope, he's sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, it was, and it was a lot of like go route stuff where it's just a 50-50 ball. And then I think I said it at one point. That's in it was I think it was the second catch he had where I was like, that's the first time that they've attacked Burke where they actually put David Bell in a route. And can, is this possible, right? We talk about this with running backs a lot. Is the accumulation of hits over the course of a series, of a half, of a game, of a season, of a, of a career, accumulation matters to running backs. I wondered the ball that David Bell dropped in the end zone that would have given Purdue one more touchdown. I thought to myself, is that an accumulation drop? Is that guy exhausted? Because he's targeted 17 times. He does have 11 catches. Denzel Burke is in his Jersey. Most of the game, not from a flag standpoint, but from a tight coverage standpoint, did they almost go to him so much, Nathan, that by the end he was like, oh, okay, oh, I'm open. I'm going to kill. I can't catch. Like, which I don't know that I've ever seen that before. Have you ever seen like a receiver, an accumulation exhaustion from a guy just because the t- a team is force feeding him so much and he's, he's, there's a defender that he is forced to battle every snap. And I don't think Burke was even in on that last play. He wasn't on him. I no. think that was Cam Brown that was on that yeah. play at the end. Nobody was really on him at the right. end. They, he, was yeah. wide yeah. he, had ju- he had literally just come off the field right before they snapped the ball, which is why they ran that play. I, mean, I, I was I was getting into it a little bit with a – not getting into it, but somebody I, – I texted out that I thought that this was a good – tweeted out that I thought this was a good performance from Burke, especially for a true freshman under the circumstances. And a, uh, someone I know from Lafayette had had text tweeted back at me like, what are you talking about? Bell had 100 yards. I'm like, yeah, but look at the context. Look at it. It took 17 targets. Uh, and just I mean, look at the context of it. I mean, I thought this was it, – it's it's certainly not a day where you come out of here thinking that Denzel Burke's going to be less special when his career is wrapping up two more years down the road. You know what I mean? And it gives you some – confidence i would think as an ohio state fan to see who he gets matched up against when you start talking about the playoffs if they get there yeah for, for yeah. comparison real quick 
Jahan Dotson had 15 targets and he had 11 catches for 127. A lot less of that was on Burke. I don't think he was targeted more than, I think, three or four times in that game. But the one thing I will discredit Purdue that I will give some credit to Penn State was Penn State got creative with how they were going to get Jahan Dotson the ball. There was a lot with David Bell of just, we're going to put you on that island and see if you can beat their freshman. And to the point of, did he get tired? Yeah, I think he was exhausted because he was like laying on the ground there for a while after he dropped it. One, because you're disappointed, but also you're probably exhausted running 30 yards down the field and not catching that ball. So I don't think they were creative enough. They they were more creative in using him as a decoy to get other guys open than they were getting their best guy open. I think some of that might have been just the, the game flow. I thought they were creative a little bit early on. And we're moving Bell around a little bit, getting him in the slot. They had a matchup on Marcus Williamson early for, I think, what was Bell's first completion of the game. But I think they did get away from that a little bit once the hole got bigger. And we thought that one of their touchdowns early out of a trips right, where they sort of confused Mm -hmm. the Ohio State's coverage, Bell was involved with that. And in the end, they sort of wound up with sort of two guys running free, Bell and somebody else. And Ronnie Hickman kind of went with Bell because it's like, what are you going to do? And then the other guy was open for a touchdown. So they did at times early, I did think. But but over the course of it, in the end, it's like six yards per attempt for Bell. I mean, like for 103 yards on 17 targets, again, like that's – it's like one of those things. It's like if you said, oh, a guy had 100 rushing yards, like, yeah, it's 38 carries. I mean, it's not right, like, right. I guess it's, we can't just have a magical three digit number and be like, however you accomplish uh, that, it's awesome. Even if you, it took 50 throws. I mean, when, when Ohio State's averaging more than a point per play for most of the game, then you're going to take that yardage load out of that many plays, like 18 mm-hmm. plays or whatever it was dedicated to David Bell. And they got a hundred and whatever it was, 113 yards, you say, and like no touchdowns, 103 yards and no touchdowns. Like that's, that's exactly what Ohio state probably hoped would happen. They could have, couldn't have probably drawn it up much better than that. Cause they knew he was going to get some, you're not going to shut him out, but you're, you will absolutely take that after you go look at what he did to Michigan state and Iowa, like double that. You'll take that every day. All right. So we do think in the end, Ohio state won the Karloftis matchup and they won the bell matchup and they won the game. And I, I, if they would have split, if it had been like, oh my God, they couldn't guard David Bell. They, they couldn't guard him. He, he had 219 yards on 17 targets and two touchdowns. They, they might still have won if they, if they held Karloftis down. If it was like Karloftis had three sacks and David Bell had 219 yards, I think they lose, right? Yeah, I think, mm-hmm. they, I think Purdue probably needed to win both matchups with their stars. They won neither. And I think so. I think this was a, a big confidence building Saturday for the tackles and the DBs that you did what you had to do again against two very elite players. But again, we're going to get into a world where there are some teams down the pike who are going to have more behind their top line guys. And then what I do want to talk about some other things with the Ohio state defense. I want to talk about the backup running back and a few other things next on bucket. Texters. We text during the game. I think it's some of the most valuable stuff. It's uh, We just don't put like the good stuff on Twitter anymore. So if you want like the analysis in the moment, 614-350-3315. Let's talk about the backup running back first because that I th- I'm intrigued by that and we saw it as it was happening and this was something that we talked about during the week. The idea of, hey, CJ Stroud needs to run more, that, that didn't come true. He had one character. He kept he it had once, a, yeah. on a keep and like <laughs> kind of ran, got stretched out, and got bumped out of bounds for a loss of one. 
but somebody else did run it. And that we had talked about. And we saw this in the end, it got a little wacko because I didn't really, there were like basically there were only two drives that started in the fourth quarter because Purdue had a five minute drive that ended with Bell's drop pass in the end zone. And then Ohio State has seven minute and 40 second drive to end the game. That's pretty good, which was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight rushes by Mayan Williams. Yeah, I felt like we were talking about how this game was like dragging on forever. And then all of a sudden I looked up and it was like six minutes left and I had a lot more I needed to write. I was like, whoa, let's, let's go. <laughs> I was still I'm writing. A... <laughs> I met Ryan Day like came on the press conference while I was still in the, in the press box finishing because I was oh, so, wow. I was so not done. But I did make it there by the end of Ryan Day still. I was kicking people out of the way. I was just saying like, do you know who I am? And then, then they locked me out. No, I'm just kidding. So Mayan Williams had eight carries on the final drive to salt it away. Right. So let's not go too nuts with this. Mayan Williams ends up with 14 carries. Trevor Henderson had 13, but let's kind of ignore the last eight. Let's look at it at, look at it as 13 for Trevion Henderson and six for Mayan Williams, because this is what we saw in, in the drives that mattered. And as we were coming on the podcast, I was said, hold on a second guys. Cause I was, I was tallying this stuff up. This is what we had talked about more of a true number two back. So by series, they just did it by series, series one, Trevion, series two, Trevion, series three, Trevion, series four, Mayan, series five, Trevion, series six, Trevion, series seven, Mayan, series eight, Trevion, series nine, Trevion, series 10, Trevion. Then the last series was mine. Right. So they went nuts with Mayan to milk the clock, but still, Basically, it was like three for Travion, one for Mayan. That was about the balance. I like it, Stephen. I like it. Do we Love think it. this is it? Like, is this look what this is what it could be the rest of the season? Love it. I love it. And I don't, <clears throat> yes, I love it because it gives, because Tra- first of all, Travion's got us. I don't know what's going on there, but every game for the last couple of weeks here, he's had to leave whether it's going in the tent or going in the locker room for something like that, that kid's got to get healthy through the week. Cause that, that can't keep happening. Cause that's, that's the ticket right there. So, but yeah, I love it because that gets Travion is your workhorse, but then Mayan, especially with the way mine runs, he's kind of violent. It keeps the pressure on a defense. And at this point, if master T is going to be on the unavailability report every week, and it's just going to be mine as a second, second running back. I'm fine with this. I think it makes a lot of sense in games that are flowing like this, especially where Ohio State's out in front and just needs to kind of keep a team at arm's length. It makes a lot of sense. In general, it makes sense, too. But I think you'll see, obviously, there's going to be some second halves where if it's a close game, just because it's Mayan's turn, he may not be the one that's in there. But it's tough. I mean, I think they're going to have to make themselves do it, though. Right. I Like, to me, say it's the fourth series of the game against Michigan State or Michigan. I'm talking about second halves more than first halves. Yeah. Well, I. I mean, there's. Still I think there's a the way point. you can manipulate it, though, if you really, if you want to steal some rest for for Travion in the first half, real quick. Maybe you just give Mayan back to back, just because you're going to use Travion a lot more in the second half, and you know that. Like you can manipulate this, but the idea that it's still just three to one on a basic scale is fine. Fourth quarter, I might agree with you, Nathan. It's like, listen, Ohio State's trailing by six in the fourth quarter. Like it's, yes, Trayvon Henderson's played three straight series. He's playing the fourth series. But I think for the first three quarters, you almost have to make yourself do it yeah. so that he's not dead by the fourth quarter. If, if in the fourth quarter, it's go time, okay. But I, I think they have to hold themselves to it because they have to think to themselves, 
Mayan really fresh is probably slightly better than worn down Travion. And that bottom line, we need the freshest Travion we can get when it really, really, really matters. And I, I, like, if you're not careful, it's like, well, we'll do that as long as we're not behind. And it's like, okay. So then like, if you're trailing, Trevor Henderson's not coming off the field. He's going to have 34 carries in the Michigan game. Like I just, for a freshman, I just don't think that's the optimal thing. Like not even for his well-being, just for the optimization of the offense that you've got to give Mayan this series so you get a better Travion. And I do like the idea of resting a series because that's a whole time for your body to reload. It's not about come out for one play and go back in, right? It's about give yourself a chance to reset. So I was really encouraged by this. And again, in the end, Mayan Williams, 14 carries for 117. Travion Henderson, 13 carries for 98. But two things, Nathan, we saw the explosion from Travion Henderson, which is whenever you see the explosion, that's a nice reminder. Okay, he's feeling good. But Ryan Day, after the game, talked about he thought Travion Henderson, right? Did he think he ran hard in the red zone? And he turned three-yard carries into five- and six-yard carries, and Ryan Day was very enthused about that. Well, I think that's critical. And we've talked about that before, just being part of his progression as a, a young running back. And I thought you saw times against Nebraska where they probably pointed some things out to him. Um, as much as I thought that that some of it was just good play by the Nebraska linebackers that like, hey, you've got to, you, you, you know, you can fight there and get one or two more yards. And those can really change the complexion of a drive, even if it's not in the red zone, even if you're more by, you know, midfield or in, or in negative territory, you're turning a, you know, you get a first down carry and you only get three, but you could have got four or five. That's, that's a massive difference in just, you know, game situation there. So I think it's just one of those things that w- w- needs to get reinforced with a, a freshman running back, a freshman player of any kind. And um, he, he responded tonight. I do want to note the guy uh, when I was walking in today who right when I got to the media gate stopped me, a fan stopped me and said, Doug, make sure you guys are loud enough on the postgame pod. So I think that probably was Nebraska last week when we were trying to deal with phones and whatever, whatever Oh yeah. point point taken. And I hope the sound quality is good because there's no point to what we're saying if nobody can hear it. So we always appreciate the feedback. Thank you to the guy who stopped me as I was just heading into uh to the media gate there. Okay. Is, is there anything else on the offensive side? Let's talk about CJ. Let's talk about CJ for a little bit. Again, like Steven, like we do our post game thing. We all gave Mays did what he's supposed to do. Right. And did not really make many mistakes other than, you know, a couple misses, a couple bounce throws, whatever, but like no interceptable passes. No, didn't feel like any terrible misreads of a defense, like really handled himself. He was really good. That's not at all the conversation with him anymore. He's going to be pretty good every game. He might have some dips because he's still young, but he's going to be pretty good every game. Now it's every moment, every week we're going to come in here and ask, did he have his Heisman moment yet? No. Did anybody else have a Heisman moment this week? No. Okay, cool. We're still on schedule. Well, Garrett Wilson had a Heisman moment, but I don't think. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But we'll talk about that later. Right now we're on CJ. He was, just, he was good. He was really I mean, good today. I mean, <laughs> like, 30, 31 of 38, 361, five touchdowns, nothing close to a turnover. He was playing seven and on no, seven. And no pressure, right? I mean, we talked about That's the thing. Yeah. I just, just no, just had all day to do what he wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, once they neutralized Karloftis, it was 
it was it was like seven on seven. It was like hands off the quarterback. It was like a it was just like a passing drill. It was like when they're out there before the game, just running through warmups almost. He I mean, there was coverage, but there wasn't any pressure. I mean, he wasn't distressed at all. I he said he thought he got touched once tonight. I know that the box score, the the auto box score that's running in the game didn't um no QB hurries. Yeah, had no QB hurries for Purdue. I don't know if they had any for Ohio State either, actually. But, no, they um, didn't. So so maybe that was broken, but I don't remember <laughs> yeah. any. I don't remember any real pressures or hurries or anything like that. Um, and once when you and we talked uh, going back to like the Penn State game, that was sort of, I thought, a, a, a turning point a little bit as we examined this team, because we saw when pressure got created that that sort of did affect the offense a little bit, yeah. uh, common sense, like it would. And I, we thought that that would then lead teams to bring a ton of pressure. I just don't know that Purdue was confident enough in its back seven to do that. I think it thought that it had to try to win with four the way Ohio State usually tries to just win with four. And often they can because Karloftis is that good. And they thought if they could just create pressure with four, that was the only chance they had to defend in the back seven. But the problem is this Ohio State receivers are so good that if, if, it, if there's no pressure – that you can't cover them all for that long. 624 total yards for the Ohio state offense in 69 plays. That's a nine yard average per play. 38 pass plays for 361. 31 rushing plays for 263. That's 8.5 uh, yards per rush. And it's 9.5 yards per attempt on the passing. So how'd it work? I mean, 600 total yards is that's, that's a lot. That's a lot. Well, it was all the, the nine per play is crazy. I mean, Jeff yeah. Brom said yeah. after the game, we were lucky to hold them to 59. He's not wrong like that. And, and it was really more than nine per play um, until they just, you know, got vanilla and you yeah. just start yeah. running the ball a lot. They were at like 10.3 at one point, almost what you would call almost a perfect first half offensively. Cause yeah. they scored touchdowns on their first six drives held to a field goal on their final drive. They only had those first six touchdowns. Drive, they only had two third downs in the first six touchdown drive. Now a couple of those were short field and one was a one play drive again, but I mean like they're not even getting to third down, but they were two of two on third down until they failed. I think it was a third down throw like into the end zone that was incomplete that led to the field goal right before yeah. the end of the half. Otherwise it would have been like a, like a perfect, like set every drive to touchdown, every third downs converted kind of first half, which is, like remarkable. So did whatever they wanted to do offensively and then salted it away and got the second running back involved and, and just had Garrett Wilson back. I wrote about that after the game. I just think they're significant. No, as much as Jackson Smith and Jigbo went crazy last week, like I just think they're significantly better with Garrett Wilson. And that that's not on the, on the one hand, it's like, duh, of course. But on the other hand, it's like, as we sort of talked about last week, they're so talented not that you can forget it, but you can maybe take it for granted. I don't know, Nathan. I just think Garrett is the connector. He's the connecting fiber of the entire offense. And I think he can do anything you ask him to do. And everybody's better when he's on the field. He's like a safety blanket, but he's an electric blanket. Like he's not like a warm and cozy Afghan that your grandma made. It's like you just ordered this from a sharper image and it's got like all kinds of heating pads and you plug that thing in and it's got 50 megawatts. I just, maybe that was it against Nebraska. It was like, whoa, what happened? It's like, I don't know that he didn't play. Like he's so good. 
He's so good. And he didn't even lead the team in receiving yards today, but he scored four touchdowns. He's just quite a good football player. And he just, everything's better when he's on the field. Yeah, I'm not sure I follow completely the electric blanket thing, but I I, 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 I I agree with what you're saying. And I think it's a good reminder. And we, we talked about it immediately after the game, but tonight was sort of the, the, the exclamation point on it. We talked about it after the Nebraska game, I should say. Tonight was the exclamation point that when no matter who Ohio State is playing, this is not completely fair, I guess, because other teams have played David Bell, other teams have played Jahan Dotson. But like there's – when you get down to like the second and third DB, those guys are facing the toughest matchup of their season. Like usually like whoever's best defensive back matches up against Wilson or Lave, whatever. But when you get down to like second and third guy, they're still matching up with guys who are as good as anybody in the country when you're playing Ohio state. And when you take even one of those guys out and normalize that matchup a little bit, it makes it that much easier on a defense. It, it takes away the leverage, a little bit of leverage that Ohio state's offense has on a defense. And I th- you saw it very early tonight, the first uh, touchdown that Wilson had on that first drive where he's just running that like out pattern and th- just nobody goes with him. I don't know what was supposed to happen on that play from Purdue's standpoint, but nobody goes with him. It's an easy catch. He turns it up. It's an easy touchdown. Like, I don't know that that same thing happens if it's another Ohio State receiver. I don't know if he gets that open. I don't know if he has the same presence to turn it up. I, and certainly when he, when he, like, he's the guy who can break off that jet sweep. And like they've they've gone to that well a couple times, and it always seems to happen with like great success. And it's all just again part of that that leverage where you're bending a team one way and bending a team one way um, and then coming back the other way with something else. And this isn't the same guy, but like the Jackson Smith and Jigba touchdown that I thought Steven, you made a good point about how they had really set that up with all the screens that they were calling. It was like screen, 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 screen. And then Purdue reacts as if it's going to be another screen. And there's like three guys standing there watching Mm -hmm. Jackson Smith and Jigba run by him. And it's over. I, I, Doug and I were talking about this on our way down to our cars um, back when we had the discussion about somebody had asked the question is Chris Olave the third best receiver on this team now. And we had the discussion, whatever. Yes, because of who the quarterback is. I think that's the, the answer of who's the most important receiver of those three. Okay. Who's my quarterback. If Dwayne Haskins were the quarterback of this team, I'd say Jackson Smith, the jig was the most important receiver of those three, because that's the type of quarterback Dwayne was. It's those quick, you know, mesh route stuff like that. I don't know why I'm doing hand motions again, but I am, even though they can't see that. If it's Justin Fields, where it's all about arm strength and pushing that ball down the field, play action, deep shot, play action, deep shot, it's Chris Olave. And we saw it in the Big Ten Championship last year when Justin Fields couldn't go to that well. With CJ, where it's his his ability to connect on intermediate passes – is that that's where his elite skill is. And that's where Garrett Wilson shines, where he can go bit long. He can go short. He can do it all. So you need a quarter that when you have a quarterback like that, that's becomes your most important receiver. So they're all elite. It's just, which one, what's Ryan day's quarterback. That's the one that's the most important to the offense. We were talking about, I said, if you, if you had to say, you have to lose one of the three receivers for the rest of the season and have to go try to win a national title. With this quarterback, it's probably Chris. Yeah, it's probably Chris. While if you said it with Justin, it's probably Jackson because he's not trying to do that anyway. But if it's Dwayne, it's probably Garrett because he's not trying to throw those intermediate passes. But it is CJ. So, but it is CJ. Yeah, I said because it is CJ. I wouldn't take Garrett away. I made sure I have Garrett, and then I guess we have a conversation because it's one of those things. It's like. 
Chris is clearly the best option on those play action deep balls. And when they run them every now and then, and it works, it's a thing of beauty, but can you survive enough without it? And it's, it's interesting. It's interesting to think about, but I would it, take Garrett number one. Still. I want it, him it, on the field. Yeah. It depends on how much you think the Olave vertical threat is what creates things underneath it too. Yeah, no, I, it's, it's some of the time it is, it's, it's the threat of it. Yeah. Opens up a lot of other stuff. And I think that happened. It's interesting because last year we saw it as much as I'm saying, don't take Garrett away. Last year, they took Chris away against Northwestern, the big 10 championship game. And mm-hmm. like Garrett didn't do that much. Yep. And it was partly because like, well, Garrett is the over the top guy. And it's like, well, we don't have to worry about Chris Olave. Let's just double team Garrett Wilson and Garrett, mm-hmm. Garrett and Justin were not connecting in that game. So like, it's, I don't know. It's an, it's an interesting thing to think about. Okay. Offense. Good. No ruggles. A little disappointed. No ruggles today. How many field goals did he have today? One, uh, one, just one. I think this was, yeah, he was one of one. Oh, I made every field goal. I tried. I'm no, I'm just kidding. He's a really good kicker. They just didn't need him much today. I made extra, every extra point. That's good. 30-yard field goal, good for no ruggles. Better in the red zone. Better in the red zone. Ryan Day talked about that a lot post-game, right, Nathan? That was kind of a thing. Uh, red zone touchdowns, five of six. Much happier with that and much happier with the offensive line and the run game. And I know Landis was taking credit for them using a little more motion in the red zone, and I think that freed some stuff up. So, um, But just better. He, I mean, clearly that was on their mind. They were talking about it as a team. It wasn't just us asking about it, but Ryan Day, would, that was one of his main things in postgame. Is much happier with that. Well, I mean, I really think most of the credit for this win should go to the media for all the questions we asked this week about, hey, what, what's, uh, why aren't you guys running the ball more? And, hey, uh, doesn't this offensive line need to play better? And, hey, shouldn't you mix somebody else into the run game? And other than the C.J. Stroud uh, running the ball thing, which was obviously we'll take credit for that because actually we were just creating – a red herring that maybe Purdue would try to catch up on and game plan too much for that. So I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not going to say we deserved the game ball, but like the I game, will. the game pen, we deserved the like game the pen. game notebook. Yeah. I want the ball. We deserve the ball. I don't, you know what I hate? I don't want, uh, maybe you guys have already done this. Maybe Nathan in your career, you've done this. And if, if you already have, well then too bad. I'm making fun of you. When, when sports writers, pose like for the picture that they put over their stories holding the ball of the sport they cover and it's like (laughs) i cover football here i am holding a football it's like do you type with the football sports writer do you pick up that big old basketball and write on a notepad with it no i don't don't hold if you're a sports writer and they're asking you to hold steven went and got his football get a pen get that man a pen don't as sports writers, don't pose with balls of the sports you're covering. That's not who you are. Pose with a, an audio recorder. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a mid '90s movie called The Paper. It was a uh, Ron Howard movie about a New York tabloid and like a day in the life of him. It's 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 pretty entertaining. It's got some flaws, and one of them is the guy who's I think supposed to be the sports editor at like the staff meetings. Like he's wearing like, I think he, he at one point, I think he is like carrying a football around. He's wearing like a, a shirtsy with like a number on it. Like, yeah. Cause the sports editor just dresses up in a uniform to come to. Yeah, why to why is it a day? thing? Why is it a thing in shows and stuff? Why is a sports it's, editor basically a lazy. jock? 
yeah. it was just lazy but oh because because that's actually the the worst part like the thing that they're the most <laughs> wrong about like yeah. ain't no jocks in that room don't pose with the football also what color are regular herrings everyone's always talking about the red herring is a regular herring that's like an unusual herring that's the sneaky trick herring is the red herring so like a regular herring is is what just like gray hold on silver well, let me ask silver what it's color so are herrings supposed All right. to be? <laughs> we'll be find out you. what color herrings are next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back to talk about the defense and the dramatic answer to what color are herrings. Nathan? No, he's right. It's silver. Silver. So the defense, drop a review, read cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Try the text, 614 Okay, so the defense gave up uh, 481 yards. And again, we're done getting hung up on yards. 31. And it was all, it was a legit 31. I, I didn't, you know, it was 52-17 at one point, And then it was 52-31. But like, I, I thought those drives in the third quarter were, I, I did think they were legit football drives. They weren't against backups. I didn't feel like Ohio State was playing prevent defense or anything. I, I I don't know. I had my head down writing a little bit, but I, I thought they were kind of real. Seven plays, 75 yards, 10 plays, 87 yards. I mean, I guess I guess the game was over at 52-17, but I'm not chalking those up to garbage time drives. Exactly. So 31 points, and then again, David Bell had a ball in his hands on fourth down and dropped it because he was worn down by Denzel Burke. But that doesn't count. We're not going to pretend it's 38. It's 31. What do you think, Nathan? Like, not great. No big deal. Like, what's the overall defensive evaluation of this one for Ohio State? Again, I think you have to judge them by their own standard. And I just think they're going to play more dynamic offenses than Purdue if you get into a playoff scenario. I mean, Purdue is a team that is at points a season has been atrocious at running the ball, a very one dimensional offense. And I don't feel like even if you're only rushing for and not creating a lot of pressure, I don't think your offense should be your defense should be so susceptible to what to what Purdue was able to do tonight. I thought what they did minimizing David Bell was a positive. I thought what they did giving up yardage off of that was a big negative. And I still have questions about the back end of this defense, the consistency of the back end of this defense. And even if they were dropping seven and only rushing four most of the time, I don't know if that was a huge departure from what they did the last two weeks when they did create more pressure. And tonight, those same guys weren't really creating that pressure. And we've been talking about Tyreek Smith. We've been talking about what the interior of this defensive line has been able to do really over the course of the season, 19 sacks over the previous four games. And then again, according to those stats, zero hurries let alone sacks tonight now some of that some of that was purdue getting rid of the ball very fast i thought aiden o'connell did a good job getting rid of the ball quickly there were times i i don't know that i've ever seen a team throw the ball as often as they did like 20 yards in the air to gain three yards they were throwing some outs like to the wide side of the field that was like (laughs) that ball had an arc in it that was a long throw to gain three we talked about all the 12 yard outs that Justin Fields threw in his career. Aiden O'Connell was throwing three-yard outs 
And then it was like, all right, well, but they're moving the chains, right? So, I mean, on some level, it was sort of effective. They were five of 10 on third downs, one of two on fourth downs, and the other fourth down they missed, David Bell dropped. So they weren't getting it out of his hands like crazy fast every single play, but they did get out of his hands kind of fast. But I, I don't know, Stephen, I thought there maybe were opportunities for Ohio State to get a little more pressure than they did. I don't know if they should have got sacks today, but they should have had some hurries. I don't I don't think that's too much to ask from a defense that's leading the nation in sacks to just, you know, at least get some pressure, even if you don't always get home, which is what they did all last year. The game, very 2020 Indiana, where they were up 35 or 7 in that game, and then all of a sudden the defense fell apart. Kind of the same thing in this one where you think you're packing it up, but you're not. But at the same time, I don't know. It's 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 hard because is somebody else going to – does somebody have a better passing offense? I mean, Georgia's a run team. You know, Alabama, they might not even play them if Alabama loses to Georgia. Oregon's not an elite passing team. They just have a great play, play caller. And so I, I don't know. It's Purdue threw it 52 times, and I don't think they're going to play another team that's going to throw it 52 times. I don't even think they're going to play a team that's going to throw it 40 times. But well, that, to me, is the point. It's not about are they going to face another team that can throw it. It's are they going to face another – more balanced offense, another team that yeah. can do both that because tonight was all about Ohio state knowing that their opponent was one dimensional yeah. and still giving up that many passing yards. I I'm still question what this team does the next time it has to face it. Like when was the last time Ohio state played a team that was even like adequate at running the ball? When was the last opponent that they had that was really any good by like the national playoff standard or even like sub that of, of running the ball. Like I feel like all of these offenses are, you know, Adrian Martinez is like Nebraska's only run threat. Penn state doesn't run the ball. Well, Purdue came in, I think is maybe if not the worst rushing team in the big 10, then close to it. You know, Maryland, you don't really think of them as running the ball. Rutgers, very like non-dynamic offense. Like it's been really since the Oregon game, you could argue like the two times that they've seen a good running offense with the first two games of the year and they gave up they didn't know what they were doing yet they didn't know what they were doing yet but but i'm I'm talking about just the opponent that they faced like minnesota had you know other than trevin what might have been the best running back in the big 10 and he gets hurt but they were running they were moving the ball on the ground in that game and then we saw what oregon did so i think it's it's going to be a combination of i thought tonight was a good adjustment maybe over the course of the game by the ohio state defense because i thought early on i thought brahm was who was probably the closest thing to Joe, Joe Moorhead in some ways, as far as an offensive mind that Ohio State's seen in the past couple months. I thought he dialed some things up early on, and then maybe Ohio State made some good adjustments to that. But he, again, he's also dealing from a different deck, a more limited deck. I'm still intrigued by what happens when this defense is challenged on both sides, in both ways again. It is odd that. For instance, like Purdue can't run it when they played Penn State. Penn State can't run it. They are the, the two best running teams in the Big Ten that aren't Ohio State are coming. Michigan State mm-hmm. coming into this weekend was 12th of the nation, averaging 5.3 yards per rush attempt. And Michigan was 14th, averaging 5.31 yards per rushing attempt. So again, that, I'm going by per rushing attempt. So it's not just, oh, we run, you know, we're Air Force, we run it every single play. Michigan runs it a lot but they're pretty effective getting it done. Ohio state in comparison, 5.69 yards per rushing attempt. That's six in the nation that was coming into today, but clearly those are, those are the two best rush and Oregon 
uh, is 11th, right ahead of Michigan State, 5.42. So these will be the two best overall rushing offenses they will face since Oregon. And then, but when you look at sort of overall offense uh, today, or uh, Purdue gained 6.8 yards per play. That was 481 yards on 71 plays. Coming into today, Ohio State led the Big Ten at 7.92 yards per play. Michigan State was second at 6.87. Nebraska third, Michigan fourth. Purdue was ninth at 5.32. So Purdue averaged 5.3 yards per play coming in, and they averaged 6.8 yards per play against Ohio Mm -hmm. State. They kind of got shut down by Wisconsin's defense a month ago, and then they had succeeded pretty well recently. We said Ohio State's defense is not really on the level of Wisconsin's defense, but I, I didn't think it was great. And it's not that they can't defend the pass or they can't defend the run. It's just I'm not sure how prepared they are to stop what any team does best. And for Purdue, that was throw it. And they didn't really stop it. I mean, as you said in our post-game videos, Nathan, there were a couple turnovers. I mean, Purdue just dropped the ball on, an ex- on a handoff when they had the backup quarterback in and they were trying to do something a little fancy. And Ohio State makes you be fancy. So then you're trying to be fancy and to screw up. That's slight credit to Ohio State. But they didn't, like, punch the ball out. They just dropped the handoff, lose the ball there. Then they flub a kickoff and give and, and give that up. That's just because a short kick and the guy screwed it up. Ohio State, you know, Booker, what's the guy's name? I'm sorry. What's Booker's first Chris name? Booker. Chris Booker. Chris Booker makes a nice hit after the guy picks it up. So some credit to that, but it's mostly a Purdue screw up. That's two huge turnovers that are mostly a Purdue screw up that are huge plays. So and, and like, the the and the gacked punt that gave Ohio State the ball in right. plus territory to start the game, basically. There wasn't a ton. There wasn't a ton of Ohio State stopping Purdue. I mean, honestly, right? They forced a couple punts, right? But there wasn't, there wasn't a ton of that. And Michigan State and Michigan are going to go about it in a different way. But this was a, a day where the opposing offense kind of did what it does best. And when it comes to overall balanced offense, it was not one of the best offenses in the Big Ten. So I'm not on alert, but I'm curious. I just think it's fair to ask. Like, they haven't had to face a team that can do what Oregon did. Oregon's the only team that has beaten them. So until they get on the field again against a team that can run the ball like that and pass that test – I just think it's a fair thing to ask. I don't think it's saying it's not predicting them to lose that matchup. It's just saying that that's still a box that they have to check in this resurgence. I agree. They haven't faced anybody who's done what Oregon did to them, but at the same, it's like kind of to take the mindset of the committee. We'll get there when we get there. I don't know if we can always, you know, look ahead that much when we're not there yet. They have, they have to get to that point in the schedule to be able to prove that they can't move that game up in the schedule. No, but all we're doing constantly, always, is evaluating yeah. what has happened right. and trying to apply it what to what is coming. And someone, someone sent like a message today that was like, after the first half, is that the best half of football you've you've seen Ohio State play? 
And offensively. Said, well, like offensively. But also I said, like, well, go. I said, like, go to the first half against Clemson in the semifinal last year, where it's like, okay, like they just blew Clemson off the field. And this was Purdue. But offensively, but they really didn't, they really didn't slow anybody down. Michigan State today, Peyton Thorne threw 22 of 30 for 287 and four touchdowns against Maryland. Kenneth Walker the third. 30 carries, 143, and two scores. So, you know, Michigan State's got a little bit. I don't know what – is Naylor out for the year? We'll get to that, I guess, later. Is he just hurt for now? Jaden Reed, their other receiver, he had a good Mm. game for Michigan State today. He was eight for 114. Peyton Thorne's competent. I just think Michigan State has has a a decent collection of competent things on both sides of the ball. So I I know I was on uh, Columbus Radio Station – this week and with the Bo Bishop and James Laurinaitis and Bo said he thought Purdue was like the sneakiest test left for Ohio state. And I said, I think it's Michigan state that there's just the Tucker coming in, what they do on both sides of the ball, a little more balance than Purdue. Purdue had the stars, but they didn't have as much to back it up. I don't think Michigan Kenneth Walker, the third star, but I think Michigan state's going to back it up a little bit more. So I'll be curious to see how it goes next week, but you know, we don't know. I, I felt this was like a reminder. Today was a reminder about the Ohio State offense. Like, yep, offensive line played great. All three receivers back, ready to go. Oh, worked in the backup tailback? Cool. C.J. Stroud working it, being in control of the game? Awesome. Like, everything fit together. Yep, yep. If you had any questions about the Ohio State offense, they were answered today. That's them on a high level. And the questions, I think, remain for the defense, especially on a day when almost no pressure. So, We'll be back with Monday Madness on Monday. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. We'll always take the reviews at Apple Podcasts. We appreciate you guys being part of it. We enjoy uh, experiencing this season with you guys. Steven, Nathan, anything we didn't cover before we get out of here? Um, I don't think so. I think we're good. All right. I mean, if we just for the sake of bringing it up, since we're always thinking about who they might face down the world, Georgia kind of looks human today. Well, but why? Because it was 10, like they, they, Tennessee like it was I think, forty-one to seventeen. Tennessee like I mean, scored, yeah, scored on its first possession, and everybody was yeah. like, "That was the that was the <laughs> best drive that any offense had against the Georgia defense all day." And then it was like, "That was it." Oklahoma yeah. lost, and Oklahoma looked like crap. So yeah. if there was any doubt, to me, it did reinforce Ohio State's the two seed if it wins out. Yep. I, I think that's like if there was any kind of like, well, what are they going to do with an undefeated Oklahoma? There's not going to be an undefeated Oklahoma. There's not everybody in the Pac-12, everybody everywhere. Everybody everywhere has a loss, for real. The only people that don't have a loss are Georgia, Cincinnati, and what? Did UTSA win? Like that's nobody cares about so nobody everybody's cares. got a loss. So it's so this was a good day for Cincinnati. Oklahoma losing was very good for Cincinnati. So I, I just think that the way the Big 12 has looked, Cincinnati undefeated has a very good case to get in ahead of anybody from the Big 12 now. But that really to me is not a huge effect on Ohio state. I think Ohio state, I think the big 12, the big 10 champ is on track for a two seed. So, um, and I know Stetson Bennett looked a little iffy for Georgia, I think early on, but then they scored 41. So I don't know what's going on there. They got to get rid of it. I mean, they got to play deep. I think they just have to get the JT Daniels and for whatever reason, they're not getting there yet, but I think they have to get there. So um, good day for Ohio state though. Good day for Ohio state. Four. Nathan Baird and Stephen Means. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.